0: Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage.
1: Today's scripture will be from 2 Samuel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and how shall I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? The Gibeonite said to him, It is not a matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, What do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us, so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us, so that we might hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. The king t- took two of the sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Merab, the son, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Berzali, the Hamophelite, Meph- the Mel- the and he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord, and the seventh of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of harvest, harvest at the beginning of barley harvest. Then Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took a sackcloth and spread for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. And she had not allowed the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. When David was told that Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done... David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them on the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. And he brought them up from there, the bones of Saul and the bon- bones of his son Jonathan, and they gathered the bones of those who were hanged. And they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin of Zela, in the tomb of Kish's father. And they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God responded to the plea for the land.
0: If you say anything about our church, I hope that you would say that our 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 worship is genuine. That we genuinely worship the Lord and love each other. And but I, but I hope that that you would say that we're we are expository preachers here. It means we teach the Bible. We go through books. So if you're here a hundred times, ninety-nine out of the hundred, we're going to be picking up where we left off the week before and we're just walking through books of the bible that's how we study the bible so we read the bible and I feel like that's the way we should preach the bible most of the time that should be our default so that's what we do and we're in a series um, teaching first and second samuel titled the, the need for a king and we're in second samuel 21 and so I'm just going to jump right in it's a not a uh, it's, it can be somewhat of a difficult text to teach but we, we can't avoid those text, can we? We have to hit them head on, and so we're going to try to tackle this chapter this morning. Hunter is read for us. I appreciate Hunter. Hunter and Morgan read our text for us most of the time, and and um, they do a great job. I appreciate them doing that. Sometimes those those names are a little tough in the Old Testament. They're a little difficult to to pronounce and sometimes we get together don't we morgan and hunter we get together okay how, how do we pronounce that well you can pronounce it how you want to but everybody's going to think the way i pronounce it is right so you ought to pronounce it like i do and uh and so sometimes they do sometimes they don't but we get through it don't we brother but there's um, some difficult names here but there's a famine in the land a severe famine this is toward the end of david's reign as king and There's a severe famine, and David sought the Lord. And when he he sought the Lord, the Lord told him that he was disciplining the nation. There was sin in the land. It was because of Saul, and several decades prior to this time, Saul had sinned against the Gibeonites. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see as the, the Israelites, the people of God, as they obeyed the Lord, blessings would flow down from heaven. And God would send... The early and the late rains. We see that throughout the Scriptures. That's why they celebrate Pentecost in the spring. It's after the early rains. And then they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. So you have the early and the late rains. When, it, when the rains don't come, the ground turns to iron. Because God hadn't been obeyed. A couple times we see this in the Scriptures. Jeremiah 5, 24 they do not this is Jeremiah uh, talking about the rebellious uh, people from Judah they do not say in their heart let us fear the lord our god who gives the rain in its season the autumn rain and the spring rain that's the, the 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 late rain and the early rain and keep for us the weeks appointed for the harvest also in James in the new testament chapter 5 verse 7 we see this idea be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it received the early and the late Rain. So, if the rains don't come for a year, you're in trouble. It hurts, doesn't it? If it lasts for three years, it hurts severely. And so, you might say, well, why did it take David three years to seek the Lord? Well, much could be said, much the same could be said of us, right? Ask of us, Sometimes we have to hurt deeply and hurt badly. We have to suffer greatly before, we, before he gets our attention. But David does seek the Lord, and the Lord tells him of Saul's sin. Maybe 30 years earlier, Saul had disobeyed the law of God and committed murder. And you might be asking another question, why does, this, why does he wait so long? Before he disciplines the nation. Well, I, I, I just say there's no statute of limitation with God in regard to murder. Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 9. Why don't you just turn there? Hold, hold your place there in 2 Samuel 21. If you're in the, the Black Pew Bible, that's page 321. But flip back to Joshua. I'll find the, the page number for you. We'll read this together real quickly. Joshua chapter 9, that's on page 218 of the Black Pew Bible in front of you. If you want to turn there, Joshua chapter 9, we're going to read a few verses here, verse 1 through 6. The Israelites had made a covenant. If you remember, the Israelites, they came into the Promised Land. And all of those nations within the boundaries of the Promised Land, God said for you to wipe out, annihilate, do away with altogether. Even if someone puts up the white flag and they want to surrender... Don't let them surrender. Wipe them out. Now, that did not mean every person on the face of the earth. No, just the people that lived within the promised land because those that lived within the promised land were pagan nations and they had to be driven out, eradicated, so the Israelites could take claim to their land that God was giving them. But that didn't happen as it should have. So let's read about that in, in Joshua chapter 9. Verse 1 through 6, real quickly. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Now what had just happened is the Israelites had taken, had taken Jericho. You remember, they walked around it, the walls came tumbling down. So that had just happened. Look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their on their part on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out packed sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a a covenant with us. So what they did, Israel had come in and had taken Jericho. Now all the surrounding nations and all the nations living within the promised land had heard about that. Some of them congregated and they said, we need to put our force together and overcome this country with this God who has incredible strength. But one nation, or one group of people, the Gideonites, they, they decided they weren't going to do that. They were going to take another approach. And so they're, they're kind of shrewd and they, they deceive them and they lie. And they put on old clothes and they said, we've, they come to, the, to Joshua, that we've come from a far land. And you can see all our, our shoes are worn out and all our clothes are worn out. And we want you to make it a covenant with us. Now, a lot of red flags should go up. If they're coming from a far country, why are they coming to the Israelites who just want to take over the promised land? So there's a lot of red flags that come up. But it says here in the, in the next verses, let's read, let's read verses 14 and 15 real quickly. So the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now that's real important. Joshua did not ask counsel from the Lord. They didn't seek the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. So what happened, Joshua was foolish, wasn't wise, he didn't seek the Lord. He made a covenant with this people. The Gibeonites were Canaanites. And he made a covenant with them that they could reside in the land. Now, If you continue reading there in Joshua chapter 9, you'll see that soon they found out that they had been deceived and they wanted to go and annihilate these people, but Joshua wouldn't allow them to. He said, no, we made a covenant with them. And we can't destroy them, but what we can do is we can make them servants. And so that's what the Gibeonites were from that point on. They were servants to the Israelites. But they had a covenant with them. And under this covenant, the people of God were to protect the Gibeonites at all costs. That's that's what had taken place um, there in Joshua chapter 9. The Israelites shouldn't have made a covenant with them. But they did. In chapter 21 of 2 Samuel, flip back there um, to our text today. Chapter 21. There's a famine. David seeks the Lord. And the Lord says in verse 21, verse 1 of 2 Samuel, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. Well, we don't, we're not told elsewhere in Scripture what happened specifically, but there came a point in time where Saul was going to eradicate the Gibeonites. Maybe he had zeal, maybe he said, hey, they were supposed to be taken out a long time ago. Well, I'll go in and take care of that. But the problem is he, had, he, he forgot about the covenant that Joshua had made with, with these people. And God takes covenants very seriously. Look at verse 2 of chapter 21. It says, So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not the people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Amorites is another name for the Canaanites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. Now look down in verse 5. David asked him what they would have them to do, and they said, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel. And then he goes on to tell them what he wants David to do. The Gibeonites are saying, this is what you can do to make this right. But it says that he, he planned to destroy us so that we should have no place in all the territory of Israel. It sounds to me like Saul's wanting to eradicate this people. And we don't know how many of the Gibeonites that he had killed, but he had sinned against the Lord, broken covenant, and now God has disciplined the nation by way of famine. It's been three years, it hasn't rained. The ground's turned to iron and people are suffering. God's anger demands a just recompense. David recognized that, an injustice has been done. And so David asked them what we need to do to make this right. I mean, God's name had been dishonored. Israel, as a covenant nation, had violated this covenant given in the name of the Lord. He says, I will do for you whatever you ask. And the Gibeonites responded. They didn't want money, but they said, You can have seven, take seven sons of Saul, this man who's done this, and, and we'll hang them in Saul's hometown. Now, he saved Mephibosheth, who was, you remember, Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, because of the covenant that God had made with Jonathan. But what he did is he gave them two sons of Saul. They were daughters of one of Saul's concubines, Rizpah, and then five grandsons. This is sons of Saul's daughter, Merab. They were given to the Gideonites, and they were hung. And it's it's interesting, you read this, it's kind of an odd story. And it kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, probably. It it did me trying to reconcile all this together. But the Gideonites, they're they're not vengeful people. They just wanted justice. And they wanted justice done in Saul's hometown to let everybody know that there was, they had done nothing wrong and that Saul had violated this covenant and, this, and that their people were innocent and their lives were taken wrongly. And it sounds, I don't know about you, but it sounds bizarre to me. I mean, could David... He couldn't be doing rightly by doing this, could he? I mean, he took these... These sons of Saul, their grandsons, and gave them over, and they were hung for something possibly that they did not do. But notice verse 14 of chapter 21, and Hunter's read this for us. These sons were, these sons and these grandsons, seven of them were, were hung there. And what David did is he went and he, he heard about Rizba, the mother of two of the men that were hung, who who she, she made her a little place there by where the bodies were hung, and she put on sackcloth, and she, as bodies were hung, they weren't buried. She kept the, the wild animals away from the bodies. And she did that until it rained. And, it, and as David heard about what she was doing... He he was moved and he went. Not only did he take those seven corpses and and give them a proper burial, but he took Saul and Jonathan's bones as well and he all buried them together. And and verse 14 tells us what happened. It tells us that there was... After that, God responded to the plea for the land and it rained. Now, I think the first thing that we'll notice, two, two points today in, our, in this chapter. Firstly, is that God always does what is right, even if we can't see that it is so. And there's questions that come up, things that I can't really reconcile in this chapter. Could it be that these sons were participants in the killing of the Gibeonites? Maybe. But we're not sure. There's much here that doesn't make a lot of sense. This text is difficult. But I think what we have to do is we have to humble ourselves and submit to God's wisdom. In the end, this was the right thing to do, even though we can't reconcile it in our own minds, because God never errs, even if we can't explain why it is good. I mean, think about it. There's a lot of suffering and a lot of difficulties in this world that don't make sense to us, but God is not beholding to us to explain it, why He does what He does. we we can't always explain His ways and how He does things. But in the end, God will prove that everything He did was right. Can we demand that God explain everything to us? I don't think you can say, you must answer all my questions. And I'm reminded, I was in college, I went to Union University, and I had an Old Testament professor uh, there, and um, he used to say, all the time, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he would quote this. He said, this is my favorite... He said, I'm a, I'm a, a, a theology teacher, an Old Testament professor, and this is my favorite verse. He would always say, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He says, in other words, I don't know all those answers, because we would always ask him. We are very inquisitive, asking all these questions. And he would he would always quote this verse, which I thought was a cop-out. I was like, dude, you're the teacher. You're supposed to know this stuff, Right. But there's some things we just can't know. I mean, think about it. In, in the case of Abraham, do you remember Abraham when he was, he was pleading for Sodom? His nephew Lot was in Sodom and God was going to, told him he was going to destroy Sodom. And, and, and Abraham says, well, wait, Lord, what if, what if there's some righteous people in this city? Do you remember the story? He says, hey, what if there's 50 people in, this, in the city that are righteous? Will you spare the city if there's 50 people? And what did the Lord say? Yeah, I'll spare it for if there's 50 people there, right? And then he goes down, the number just dwindles. Well, what if there's fewer, what if there's fewer? But one, one statement that Abraham said is, is real interesting. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, Abraham responds when, when, when he says, well, if there's 50 people there, will you spare the city? And, and Abraham says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And of course the answer is, of, of course he will. Everything the Lord does is right and good. And in this incident, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, making things right with the Gibeonites, will God do what is right? And the answer is, of course. He always does things rightly. He always does what is good. Also thinking about this mother, Risba her two sons have been taken and, and hung for the sin of Saul. And she puts on sackcloth and she goes there to guard the bodies. And she waits on the blessing of the Lord. She waits on the rain to come. And Matthew Henry, commentator, says, She may not see them decently buried, but they shall be decently attended. She attempts not to violate the sentence passed upon them. In other words, she didn't try to take them down, right? That they should hang there till God sent the rain. Of course, David... He, moved, he was moved by this mother, and He gives them a proper burial. And at that point in time, what does God do? God says, justice has been served. Things are now made right with the Gibeonites, and He sends rain upon the land. restitution was made, and it rained. Somehow God was pleased that seven descendants of Saul were put to death for the lives of the Gibeonites Saul had taken. So first point, trust that God will do rightly even when we can't see that it is so. And in our own lives, think about our own lives. Things happen that we don't quite understand. People who are are not righteous seem to be blessed by the Lord and those who are living for the Lord sometimes don't seem quite as blessed. Sometimes we lose someone who's good to us. Sometimes someone who's supposed to be good to us isn't. Why does the Lord do what He does? Why does He allow what He's allowed? I don't know, but I think we we have to trust... That God would do rightly, even when we can't see that it is so. The second thing that we see in our text today is that God continues to protect David as his rule comes to an end. Let's look at verse 15 and I'll butcher some of these names so Morgan and and, uh, Hunter can laugh at me for a change, right? Verse 15, let's read this together. There was war again between the Philistines and Israel, and we don't know when this was, Tim. It's not in chronological order. And so, one, one of the great things when we study the Bible, we have to remember why would God inspire the writer of this book to put this in this particular order? It's something we always have to, to ask ourselves. It says and David went down together with his servants and they fought against the Philistines. And that's what David did, didn't he? There's one time we find in the Scriptures that he, when, it, when it was time for the kings to go off to war that he didn't go. And that led to a lot of trouble, didn't it? His sin with Bathsheba and all the results of that. But David goes to battle and leads his men to battle. And it says that David grew weary. Verse 16. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruai, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, You shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Sibachai, the Hushathite, struck down Sath, who was one of the descendants of the giants. And there was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jerorahim, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Now is when I start getting everybody's attention, right? Yeah. Twenty-four in number, and he also was descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, struck him down. These four were descended from the giants of Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Morgan had to do with those names. Yeah, I kind of butchered some of them. Didn't I? Yeah, I struggle. I'll get better. This chapter describes the end of David's military career. It's not yet the end of his reign. Is king of Israel. We'll see that in a few weeks. But it's the end of his military career. David's no longer going to be allowed to go out and fight with his men. If you think about David's military career, it began, as you may recall, with the, this fight with Goliath. And he led the Israelites to victory over the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 17. That was months ago, wasn't it? We've been in Second Samuel a long time. The beginning of his military career was the defeat of Goliath and the Philistines. And now we see the ending of his career is a uh, final battle with one of Goliath's offspring and the defeat, again, of the Philistines. So David retires. He's put out to pasture, so to speak. Not from leading the nation, but from leading the nation into battle. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. David, we've seen this man. He's, he's done a lot of things rightly, and we love him, and we... We love studying the story because he's, he's a, a broken man, a fallen man, a sinful man, but yet he's a man after God's own heart. Not because he ever, does everything rightly, but when he's rebuked, when he's shown his sin, what does he do? He responds humbly, doesn't he, to rebuke. He responds to a rebuke. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. But we see him going out, it seems, on top. And we want to do that. We want our heroes, especially our athletes, to go out on top, don't we? Think about Peyton Manning. He wins his second Super Bowl, and what does he do? Yeah, he, he, he retires, right? I think about John Elway, he's done that. I think John Elway, he won his second uh, Super Bowl MVP, and then he retires, and he retires on top, right? Another um, example would be David Robinson. He won his second NBA title, and then he retires as a champion, NBA champion. Yeah, we see that uh, some of our some of our heroes some of the athletes that we follow you want them to go out on top what i always hate is you have one of these players that play for one team for for 15 years and then they want to play a few more years and they they get traded to some other team that they shouldn't be playing for and they play terribly Doesn't, isn't that really that's kind of sad you hate to see that you're like no just just retire you know while you're on top quit while you're ahead right go out on a high note so to speak but that's what happens to david he is he is leaving the battlefield for the last time, but he's victorious. But notice the battle, how it, how it tells about the battle. He, he gets weary, and this Ishbi Benob, one of the Philistine soldiers, he was determined to make the most of this opportunity. And, and who is he? He's one of these giants descendants, right? One of Goliath's descendants. And he has weapons very much like Goliath had, if you remember the story of David and Goliath. And it's one thing to lose a soldier, you know? that You expect to do that when you go into battle. The Israelites did. To lose a soldier is one thing, but it's quite another to lose the king. And so, David had been rescued by Abishai and was told, you can't go back out to battle. Well, could they win without the Goliath killer? I mean, David, he never lost a battle. You remember that? David's never lost a battle. Could they, were they going, were they going to be okay? I mean, even though if he's, he's lost a step, right? He's not the warrior he used to be. But could they win without David? In verses 18 through 22, they give us the answer, don't they? In these subsequent battles, other descendants of Goliath emerged, and they, what happened? What was, their, what was the result? they were killed, right? The Israelites were victorious. I mean, think about it. When the Israelites demanded a king, why did they want a king? They wanted to be like the other nations, but why did they want a king to be like the other nations? What did they want their king to do? To take them into battle and lead them to victory in battle, right? Especially against their arch nemesis, the Philistines. What would happen when David was no longer able to lead them in battle? And we read all of these giants who were, who were eliminated and killed by the Israelites. Let's think about that idea of going out on top. You remember the first generation when they came up to the edge of the promised land in the book of Numbers? Why didn't they go and conquer the land? Why did they have to go and wander in the desert 40 years and that whole generation die with the exception of Joshua and Caleb? why did they not go and take the land when they they first came upon the Jordan River? Do you remember why? they were scared of the giants that's right they wouldn't go and take the land because giant people live there right they're so big we can't defeat them right even though God told them that they could and then we see the Israelites shaking in their boots when they're Facing the Philistines, and Goliath would come out morning after morning, right? Slandering, talking trash to the Israelites, bow-mouthing them and their God. What did David do? He stepped forward and he slew the giant, and the Philistines were defeated. But now David is no longer to handle the Goliaths, which the Philistines put up against him. Think about Saul's leadership couldn't produce one man who would take on Goliath including Saul himself right but David's leadership produced many mighty men right he has his list of mighty men led by Abishai David David was no longer able to fight but that's no problem men were lining up to take on all the Goliaths the Philistines could put up against them and all these offspring of Goliath were killed And the Philistines were defeated at the hand of these mighty men. So what does David do? He goes out on top. The people no longer needed a king to do their fighting because they were willing to go and fight themselves, even against the offspring of Goliath. And that's a great way to go out. We talk about him going out on top. So just by way of application, let's think about this text as we close. A couple things. I think firstly, with that in mind, Saul, under Saul, no one was willing to stand up to Goliath. But David's ministry, there are many who are willing and able to do so. And David is now free to step aside as commander of the military and later on as king because he's done his job well. He did a lot of things wrongly, didn't he? He sinned a lot and he blew it a lot. He wasn't a very good daddy who wasn't a good husband. But, man, he was a good military leader. And he was a good leader in general because... What he did is he helped create a lower level of leadership that's ready to take his place. And so maybe by way of application for us as a church, us as leaders, are we leading in such a way that we're equipping others to take our place? Or we have to do it all, have to have our hands on everything, or we actually have people that can do the work. And I say all the time, you know, for my job as pastor, you say, well, it's my job. As a pastor, there's a lot of things that I'm called to do, but I think the primary thing that I'm called to do is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so us as leaders in our church, are we doing that well? Are we equipping people to come, being ra- people being raised up under us to do the things that we do? Are people being taught to teach and divide the word of truth? People being taught how to share the gospel and how to study the Bible for themselves? Leaders, are we replacing ourselves with those under our authority? That's one way I think we can apply this text. Secondly, I think we can, we need to think about being reconciled to those who we've wronged. We've, the Gibeonites, right? There was, they were sinned against decades before and all of a sudden there's a famine in the land and There had to be, wrong had to be rectified, didn't it? I think about Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, is there someone who has something against you? It says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I think the Gibeonites, there was something they had been sinned against and that had to be made right. I think just application, we need to make things right with those that people who we've offended those who have something against us. Is there someone who has something against you? You need to be reconciled, maybe. it's the second way we can apply this text. And lastly, I think, this story of the Gibeonites, I think it, it points us to the cross. When you think about God's justice had to be satisfied. These seven sons, we can't... It doesn't sit well with us I can't make those things everything come together neatly there I can't explain all of that to you but I know that it was right because God did it and everything he does is right but I know that when justice is done on earth vengeance from heaven is appeased we see that in this story And I think the story points us to the cross. Think about Jesus and what He accomplished on the cross. We were, at one point, at enmity with God, enemies of the Lord. If you read the Scriptures, what does God do to His enemies? He pours out judgment upon them, and so His wrath must be appeased. And how is it appeased? Caitlin it's appeased through the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came 2,000 years ago, and He lived... A perfect life for us and he died a terrible death for those who would trust him he was buried and he rose on the third day and he showed himself to his apostles and then he ascended into heaven and the story that he wanted his apostles to to share is the the gospel story right of how God who's righteous and just will pour out his wrath upon sinners upon his enemies, those who are opposed to him. But Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, so that those that are at enmity with God could be reconciled to this Creator, who's all powerful and all merciful. Yeah, the Bible says if we'll confess our sin, He's faithful and just, will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, by way of application, have you Have you repented of your sin and have you had your sin, your sin debt paid? Has Jesus atoned for your sin? We sang a lot of songs that talked about this. It is well. Can can you say it is well with your soul? Well, if you're at enmity with God, it's not well with your soul because God will punish you for all eternity. When you breathe your last, He will put you in... In hell where you'll suffer His wrath and fury for all eternity. It's not well with your soul. So if that's true of you, then my, my plea for you by way of application will be to repent and trust that Jesus did die in your place, that He did rise on the third day and be reconciled to the God who loves you and who sent His Son to die for sinners it's a difficult text Kind of you may have some questions you want to see reconciled and if you want to send me a message or call me or catch me on the way out I would love to try to help but this it's a difficult text sometimes we just have to trust that the Lord's going to do rightly I don't understand how all this fits together but this was the right thing to do because God did it and he's he's good all the time think about david and his last battle him going out on top and his leadership and i hope and pray that our church will raise up people to do the lord's work and if if that's you that you'll pour your life into others that can do the things that you're doing now let's pray and we'll be dismissed if you have children in, back in the back. We'll ask you to grab those kids after we pray and and we'll be dismissed. Father, we acknowledge that you're good to us and you give us your word. Inspire, you inspired men to write the scriptures and we know that the scriptures are true and, and right and good and we know that, Lord, sometimes we can't understand how all of this fits together and we're not given all the details, but Lord, we trust that what you do is right and we do recognize the principles from the text that we, we need to make things right with those that we've offended and sinned against. And you want us to do that. I pray that you would move in the hearts of our people. Lord, if we have some in, right now in our mind's eye that we're thinking about that we've offended, that we've sinned against, we recognize that someone has some, something against us, I pray that you would give us the grace to, to go and try to make that right, try to be reconciled. Father, for those that are here that are in leadership, Father, I pray that You would help us to, to replace ourselves, to teach those under, under us to, to do the things that we are doing. Lord, we would find those faithful men and women and we would pour into them. Father, may You raise up people in this church, raise up children and students. Lord, that they would be equipped to divide Your Word. And Lord, they would possibly take the Word to the hard-to-reach places to people that need to hear it. And Father, for us here that are yet to repent and trust Christ, I pray that You would stir their hearts, that they would see their sin, and Lord, they would be able to turn to Christ so that Your justice can be done and their soul be set free. Father, we thank You for the promises that we have in Christ. We thank You for the work He's done for us. Lord, we thank You, Lord, that many of us can say it as well with our souls. Not because we're good, not because we got it figured out, but because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I'm thankful that many of us can sing that You are a living hope. Father, may we leave rejoicing because we've been together. Bless us. Give us grace. We need it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace to you. You're dismissed. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.